Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. Now, most of you know this story. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He can't remember what it was. He calls in his soothsayers, his wizards, his witches, his warlocks, these men and women who actually did have a real connection with the supernatural. I remember hearing this story as a, a young boy and I used to sometimes think that these priests and priestesses and, and wizards and witches that, that served the, the ancient pagan kings that Israel was always going up against, that they were serving dead gods, but they're not. These witches and wizards, these warlocks, these soothsayers, they were serving real entities, real powers, demons. And so when Nebuchadnezzar calls them in, he says, I've had a dream, tell me what the dream is, and then tell me what it means. Even for them who had connections with darkness, it was an impossible, unreasonable request. Because, you know, I'll tell you something today. Satan cannot read your minds. Do you know that? He can guess. He's a great master reader. He looks at our, our heart rate. He, he looks at our blood flow. He looks at our pupils, our expressions. He can read us and he can guess real good, but he cannot read your mind. And Nebuchadnezzar was asleep and Satan didn't have a clue what the dream was because the dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God and Satan can't read minds. Only God can do that. So let's look what happens. Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. He calls in Arioch, the captain of his guard. Now, we miss this part of the story often. And he commands that these soothsayers, these wizards and these witches, these wise men, be put to death. And so Arioch brings in the guard and he actually begins to put them to death. And he comes to Daniel's room. Now, why wasn't Daniel there? Well, Daniel was a follower of Yahweh. So he didn't go along with these princes of darkness, with these witches and these wizards. He was a follower of God. We don't know why he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. And when Arioch came to his apartment to put him to death because he was still counted as among these wise men, Daniel said, hey, hey, just a minute, give me some time. Now, now the fact that Arioch gave him time gives you a measure of the man that Daniel was. And so Daniel did what we should do when we get in trouble. And by the way, if you're in trouble today, if life is not going good, you need to follow in Daniel's footsteps and pray. And don't just pray by yourself. Do what Daniel did. He called his three friends in. Do you know what their names were? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know what their Hebrew names were? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He calls them in and they have a prayer meeting. We're not sure exactly what happened, but God comes over Daniel this is amazing, supernatural miracles, power. And God will work amazing, supernatural, miraculous powers through you too, just as he did with Daniel, if you let him. You know what's wrong with the church today? The same God 
that inspired Daniel to great feats still lives, amen? So if he's still alive and he's still willing to work, what's happening? Who's the problem with? We are not seeking God like Daniel did. Well, most of us aren't. He would pray three times a day with his window open toward Jerusalem. And he would pray hours and hours on end. He was a man of God. And when he got into trouble, when you're a man or a woman of God and you're in trouble, it's easy to go to the God that you already know. Now, you can go to God whether you know him or not if you're in trouble. But it's always a lot more reassuring to go to the God that you really know. Now, we are heading into end times. The book of Daniel was written for us living in the end times so that we could prepare ourselves to be ready for the end times we're heading into. The Bible says we are heading into a time of trouble like the world has never seen. You people who sit in this church, you make no mistake, some of you watching this on television, those of you who know the Lord, who are in experience with Him, you are the people of God. The world itself is headed into a time of trouble like the world has never seen. And if we are going to walk through this time of trouble and if we're going to do it successfully and if we're going to do it with assurance and, and, and peace in our hearts, you know, as the whole world falls down, financial collapse, wars and diseases ravaging the planet, as, as chaos descends on our, on our communities and, and on our world, it, it is reassuring to know God. Amen. Daniel has a guard with a troop of soldiers outside with drawn swords about to put him to death and he knew exactly where to go. He went to God. And when you go to God and seek help and you're in trouble, he will come to you. Amen. He will come. He will come. And so Daniel now goes in before the king. Verse 29. While you were sleeping, your majesty... You dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream. No, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Daniel didn't take credit for himself. He gave the credit to God. He didn't say, I've worked it out. He didn't say, I have the answers. He said, I do have the answer, but make no mistake, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, it was my God who gave me the answer. So Daniel then tells Nebuchadnezzar what he saw. In your vision, your majesty, you saw, this is Daniel 2, 31 to 35, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly, thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. and Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched a rock important, was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar's listening to Daniel, and he's going, yes, 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 that's what I saw. I saw it. You are right. I saw it. I saw it. And I guess Daniel's looking at him and saying, well, of course you saw it. I know you saw it because my God gave it to you. And so Daniel 
gives the glory to God, and then he uses the gift that God has given him to start to draw this pagan king to God. And this is, this is almost, not quite, but almost the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's walk to God. Why? Because he's seeing a man who has a gift use it to, to advance the glory of God. So Daniel continues, verse 36. That was a dream. Now we will tell you, King, what it means. Remember this dream, this story happened 2,620 years ago or thereabouts. Your Majesty, you are the greatest of kings. Nebuchadnezzar puffs his chest out. You're right, I am. You got that right, boy. Your Majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God, but then Daniel puts him in his place. The God of heaven has given, who's this God, says Nebuchadnezzar. This God of heaven has given you sovereignty, has he? Power, strength, and honour. Well, I'm not so sure about that, says Nebuchadnezzar. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has given, has even put the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of God. I'm thinking Nebuchadnezzar likes that. You are Nebuchadnezzar. You are right at the top. You are the head of God. Now, these guys, these kings in these days, they weren't short on self-worth. Nebuchadnezzar's word was life. And you would live or die if you were one of his citizens on his word. He ruled supreme. No one told him what to do. No one ordered him about. His guards and his army were there at his beck and command and his citizens lived in fear of the king. And Daniel says, you kind of get the courage of Daniel. You are given your power by God. You are the head of gold. Now, if you look at history, from 605 B.C., I know BCE and these new terms, but I'm not using them. 605 years BC to 539 BC, Babylon ruled the world supreme, the greatest nation on the earth. In fact, uh, I'm a bit of a history buff. In 605 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar was still a young man, he took on the Egyptians and the Assyrians. The Assyrian king was a man by the name of Asher Ubalat II. The Egyptian pharaoh was Neko or Neko II. These two nations united because they could see that Babylon and young Nebuchadnezzar was a real threat. And in 605 BC, now this is similar to, give you an idea in our day, these are superpowers going at it back then. This is similar perhaps to the United States fighting an allied army of China and Russia. That's the sort of war it was. This, this was the biggest battle the world had ever seen to this time. Thousands and thousands of men on both sides. Two, three superpowers going at it for control of the then known world. And here's Nebuchadnezzar, maybe... His father had just died, Nabopolassar. He's Nebuchadnezzar, maybe 22, 23 years of age, at the head of the most powerful army in the world. And he goes at it in the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, and he just decimates this combined allied Assyrian-Egyptian army. It was a slaughter. In fact, it finished the Assyrians. They, they just disappeared off the historical map. They, can, they just didn't exist after this battle. And the Egyptians were so weakened that to this day, really, they've never risen again. So this was some battle. He then became the most powerful ruler in the world. No one could stand before him. 
Verse 39, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take its place. And the Medo-Persians in 539 BC, Nebuchadnezzar was dead, Daniel was still alive. He was by this time a really, really old man. The Medo-Persians took out the Babylonian Empire. Oh, it's a great story, and if I had more time, I'd tell tell it to you, how Darius puts together an alliance, more than an alliance. uh, uh, Two nations become one in the Medes and the Persians up there in Iran, and they march down, and they take out Babylon. And the Medo-Persians, they ruled for a couple of hundred years. And... As I study history, if I were to serve any king in history, I think Cyrus would be the man I would want to follow. He was a great king, really good king. But the story doesn't end there. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. And in 331 BC, the kingdom of Greece under a young firebrand warrior called Alexander the Great rose to prominence and it went from 331 BC to 168 BC and with 40,000 troops in 331 BC he attacked Arabila, the great Persian army. We're not sure how many were in that Persian army. Some say 100,000 men. The old Plutarch Greek scholars, Greek historians say over a million. We don't know. We do know that Alexander had about 40,000 soldiers. And when he attacked Darius, he didn't stand a chance. And by the end of the day, his army was routed. Within a few days, he was dead. And Alexander the Great was king of the world. But Alexander didn't live long. And on the 10th or 11th of June, 323 BC, so seven or eight years after this great battle, after he becomes king of the world, he died in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar II, the Nebuchadnezzar we know, at Babylon. He was only 32 years old. And according to Diodorus, Alexander's, who's a a Greek historian, an ancient Greek historian, Alexander's companions asked him on his deathbed to whom he bequeathed his kingdom. And he's... Laconic reply, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try some Greek, were toi kratistai, which means my kingdom goes to the strongest. Ancient historians tell us that Alexander had four generals. Their names were Lysimachus, Cassandra, Seleucus and Ptolemy. And these four generals split his kingdom up for the next couple of hundred years into four different areas, loosely allied to Greece, very much saturated with Hellenistic Greek culture. But then something interesting happens. And you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar as he's listening to this, wow, this is incredible. Daniel is giving Nebuchadnezzar, through God in this dream, a look into the future of the world. Verse 40, following the kingdom of Greece, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. The kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. And in 168 BC, the kingdom of Rome took over the entire world. 
and they reigned for over 500 years to 476 AD. Now, I've been to Europe. How many of you have been to Europe here today? When you go there, you can, you can see the remains of the Roman Empire everywhere. Uh, in, I, I went to Athens, uh, not to Athens, I went to, um, to Rome. And I remember as we got there and we got on the bus and we're on the way to our hotel and we came around the corner and there's the, the Colosseum. Wow. Built by the Romans. While I was there, I saw roads that are still in use today. Stone roads built by the the Romans. There are still aqueducts that the Romans built 2,000 years ago that are still being used in Europe today to transport water from town to town. When I was in England, I went to, to Hadrian's Wall, which is a wall that stretches across the north of England from one side to the other to keep those barbarous Scots out. <laughs> it's Parts of that wall are still there. Everywhere you go in Europe, there's remnants of this great Roman Empire. Their armies were undefeatable. Now watch this. Verse 41 to 43. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron is mixed with clay. We'll have some parts that have the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. Now, after the fall of Rome, around about 476 AD, Europe and the then known world fractured into many different nations. And you've got the Franks who became the French and you've got the um, Anglo-Saxons who became the Britons and you've got the Suvi who became the Portuguese and you've got Europe forming at the fall of Rome as we more or less kind of see it today. But since the time of Rome, we have had men, mighty men, empires, kings, armies trying to unite Europe. But God said, hey, they're not going to do it. He said there will be strong nations like iron, like Rome, but there will be weak nations like clay. Let's have just a brief look at history. After the fall of Rome, we have some interesting monarchs, kings, rulers. Charlemagne, he ruled from 800 AD to 814 AD. 14 years, he was the first self-proclaimed emperor of Europe. He tried to unite Europe with and he had the most powerful army in the world, he just couldn't bring the fractious tribes together. He'd defeat one king and one tribe and another one would pop up here. So he'd rush across, he'd defeat them and another one would... He just just could not unite Europe because God said the nations of Europe will never, of the world, will never be united again. Rome was the last united nation we'll ever see. So then we had Napoleon, have you heard of him? He lived from 1769 to 1821. He tried to unite the world, Europe, with the most powerful armies the world had ever seen to that time. He had some success for a little while, but then he got caught in the winters of Russia. And there his army perished and he was defeated and he died on an island not long later. Then we had the League of Nations. Have you heard of them? After World War I, they formed the League of Nations to bring unity and peace to the world. Failed miserably. Then we have Adolf Hitler. Now, think what you may like of him. He intended to rule the world. 
Then we have the United Nations post-World War II trying to do to this day the same thing that God said would never be done. We have the EU. Never have I seen a more fractious lot than the EU. And the chances of the EU staying together for any period of time are zero because God... Look, Britain is hard-pressed keeping Scotland, England, Wales and Ireland together. And they all speak the same language, let alone the EU. It's just... It's not, no matter how men try, the world will never be united under one empire again. The Bible through this prophecy says it, and just as the Bible says it, so it has happened. Now watch this. This is what I really wanted you to see. Daniel 2, 44, 45. During the reign of those kings, what kings? This is our time. During the reign of the kings of the iron and the clay. This is right now. Let that, let that. Now I know this is a bit of a history lesson and this is going to crank up over the next few weeks, but it's important that you understand this. God says during the reign of those kings in our time. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness. And it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain. Though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and the meaning is certain. God says in the time, in the time we live. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had seen the vision. He'd seen the image. He'd seen the rock come from the mountain, cut out by without hands. He'd seen the rock come down and hit the image right in the feet, the iron and clay where we are. He had, he'd seen the image disintegrate. And then God says, I'll tell you what that means. It means I'm going to come and I'm going to set up a kingdom. These kingdoms all came and fell, including yours, Nebuchadnezzar, but mine is going to go on Forever. And people say, oh, are you sure that's Jesus' second coming? Well, look at this, First Corinthians 10 verse 4. Talking about the children of Israel as they walk, went through the desert. And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that travelled with them. That rock was who? Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock. And the Bible says that in the times of our kings, of our government, in these fractious times, that rock is going to come and he is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that will go on for eternity. Matthew 24, 30, 31. I was looking at my, with my teens with this this morning. And then at the last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming. It will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the prophets of the earth and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. This is the end of the prophecy. Jesus is coming. Now you can sit here in this church today or you can watch this on television and you can say, well, that was an interesting or not so interesting history lesson. I don't buy it. It doesn't matter whether you or I buy it or not. 
just as surely as Babylon came, followed by, by Medo-Persia, followed by Greece, followed by Rome, followed by the divided kingdoms, just as surely as this has happened, exactly as God has said it would, I am telling you today as his man that he is coming again. He is the next king in the future. But how can you be ready when Jesus comes? That's the question. When that rock, Jesus Christ, comes down, angels in the air from one end of the sky to the other, you know, it's, Christmas is coming, hallelujah. Liska, you're saving up for me, aren't you, for, for Christmas? <laughs> you are? Thank you. I'll start saving for you soon. <laughs> and before we know it, Christmas is here, True. That's what it's going to be like for Jesus coming. We sit here today and we go, oh, that's just so far. No. Before you know it, you, 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 all of you, you're going to see the sky split open and Jesus is going to return and most of the world will mourn, but you don't have to because you are Christians. You are followers of the Lord. You follow the great God of Daniel who has revealed these things to us. Amen, amen. So how can you be ready? When that small cloud appears in the eastern sky, how can you be ready? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, my last scripture. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast when Jesus comes if you're going to be ready and hear this message now as I close Seventh Day Adventist Church we are a fundamental church amen we believe in the Bible don't we we believe in the law of God true true Yes, we do. We believe in the Sabbath. We believe in the doctrines of Scripture, the second coming, the sanctuary, what happens to you after you die. We believe in the prophecies that we're going to look at in the next few weeks. We do. Amen. But if you're going to be saved, that's not enough. The Bible says it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. When Jesus comes and your angel comes down and he grabs you by the hand and he pulls you up and introduces himself and says, let's go. And you begin to rise up in the air and you're looking at Jesus Christ. It's through his blood and sacrifice for your sins alone that you are headed up toward him. Amen. Not through works. Do you understand that? If you get caught in this works trip that so many Adventists are on, that some of our most prominent television evangelists preach and teach, yes, in our church, if you get caught in this, you're going to get caught short because your works are never good enough to prepare you for the rock Jesus Christ when he returns. And if you're relying on your works, that rock is going to hit you and you will be shattered because your works works are like what? Filthy rags. But his blood, oh Lord, come into our hearts this morning, we pray. We repent of our past life.
And we ask you, Jesus, to cover us in your blood. And we accept your blood as the atonement, as the price for our sins. And we believe it, Lord, through faith. Through faith we believe it, Lord. Help our unbelief. Come and possess us with the Holy Spirit. Convert us, Lord. Light us on fire with the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, as we close this presentation, that you will save us, that you will save us through your blood. Jesus, we believe. Jesus, we believe. We grab hold of it in faith. In your name, amen. Amen. 